located at Jupiter Next in the Arium Ballroom at 900 East Burnside Street. We hope to see y'all there. Good morning. You're listening to KBOO Portland. Uh, as Kai said, coming right up, it's Veterans Voice. Uh, today, J- David Rovix is in the studio with Marvin Live, and uh, Peter Carroll will join us by phone. He's the author of lots of material about the Link- Abraham Lincoln Brigade, which they'll be discussing, all three of them today. At 10 o'clock, it's Radio Zine, where Suzanne Legrand interviews Lisa Loving about her book, Street Journalist, Understand and Report the News in Your Community. At 10.30, it's a film at 11, taking the films from the past decade that stand the test of time. And then at 11 o'clock, it's Pacific Underground, a show by and for the Asians and Pacific Islander communities. Uh, you can make a donation here through the Give Guide on kboo.fm give. And uh, that's a great thing to do to support your station. Uh, if you'd like to become a member and just donate in general, go to kboo.fm or use our mobile app, to click on donate and stay tuned for Veterans Voice. They were old when I was young, now they've all but passed away. Now it's just a secondhand memory of the day when from all around the world. They sailed off to Spain To fight against the fascists Where so many men were slain Who will recall the days When they all stood side by side Now that the last Lincoln veteran died Beside Martin Luther King Or in a veteran's parade You could see the men who made the journey To join the 15th Brigade When men of many nations Of most every creed and hue Catholics and Protestants Atheists and Jews Joined together in the trenches To turn back the fascist tide Now that the last Lincoln veteran died. The working class of many nations joined in a desperate bid with what weapons they could find. They fought to save Madrid from Brussels and Berlin, Galway and London town. Who will recall the Brigadistas? Who went to take the fascists down There beside the Spanish people Even the figs and olives cried Now that the last Lincoln veteran Conservative, the older that they age. 
They say that being radical is just a useful phase. But the finest communist I've known lived to 95. And he spent his whole life striving for humanity to thrive. To forget these fallen heroes is something I cannot abide. Now that the last Lincoln veteran died. Now that the last Lincoln veteran a valley in Spain called Parama. It's a place that we all know so well. It was there that we gave of our manhood, where so many of our brave comrades Portland calling. Sisters and brothers, welcome to Veteran Voice Radio Show on KBOO 90.7 FM in Portland, Vancouver, 104.3 FM in the Willamette Valley, and 91.9 FM in Columbia River Gorge, or on the World Wide Web at KBOO.FM. And you can hear our older shows on KBOO.FM slash Veterans Voice. And I was told we have a podcast, but I don't know how you do it, so I'll find out and learn how to do that. I'm Marvin, and Tammy's on the board today, our engineer. And today our guests are in the studio with me, David Rovick, who you just heard singing. And we're going to be talking to Peter N. Carroll, uh, author of some really good, interesting books. And I have uh, his book, The Odyssey of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, Americans in the Spanish Civil War. And we're going to be talking about the brigade. Uh, and, uh, just a fascinating story. It's just a fascinating story that we, uh, Dave and I were just talking. And, and you know, 99.9% .9 of Americans have no idea who, who these guys are, you know. and uh, But today we're going to have... Uh, let people f find out who these people are. Uh, Peters, I'm glad that you're on uh, the radio with us, and I really like your book here. Thank you. Yeah, it's really... I'm here. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's a really uh, interesting book, and, and I learned a lot from it. But I want to start out talking to you, you two about... Uh, the one thing that I think that we should t explain to the listeners, uh, the different, what they were called, uh, what the fascists uh, were called, and what the uh, the brigades and, and, the, and the Spanish uh, army was called. Well, there was an elected Spanish government, a Republican government, that was started... It was the second Spanish Republic in 1931. And uh, it was a legal government. It was a republic. People voted and so forth. And in 1936, the government uh, voted, the people voted for a kind of left-ish government, a lot of socialists mostly, uh, and Republicans who were kind of bourgeois, middle-class, educated people like lawyers and doctors. And they became the majority. They called themselves the Popular Front. When the Popular Front was elected, the right wing in Spain, led by the generals, Francisco Franco among them, rebelled against the legal government and announced they were the real government. And so that was what the Civil War in Spain was about that lasted from 1936 to 1939. So the Republicans and people who stayed loyal to the republic were called loyalists or republicans and the rebel side were called either rebels they called themselves nationalists oh. right and they were linked also to the very far right wing 
fascist-type parties in Spain. So they were called fascists as well. But the key thing in the Civil War was that it wasn't limited to those two sides, that is, between the rebels and the illegal government. But almost immediately, when it appeared that the legal government was going to suppress the army rebellion, Franco and his allies got in touch with Adolf Hitler and Mussolini, Mm. who were fascists. And they provided the critical military assistance in the form of airplanes, in the form of uh, munitions, that stuff, and soldiers that ultimately defeated the Republican army. So because Hitler and Mussolini aligned with the, with the rebels, a lot of people called them fascists. And of course, Franco was a fascist in many of his pronouncements during the Civil War and especially after the Civil War over was over when he created a dictatorship that lasted until 1975 when he died in his bed. Wow. That's the, that's the political story, more or less. Right. So the one thing, I, uh, the thing we're going to talk about uh, is the is the international brigades. But I'm going to uh, uh, talk to David for a second here, Peter. Uh, tell who that song was about that we just played. <coughs> that was about my friend Bob Steck, who uh, I'm sure... Peter's run across his his uh, name at some point. He he was uh, one of the veterans of the of the Lincoln uh, Battalion. He he grew up in the Midwest uh, and uh, lived in New York City at the time that he joined, uh, and then uh, uh, spent most of his uh, life after coming home from Spain uh, teaching history in the high schools of New York City and uh, running uh, a interracial communist summer camp called Camp Unity in Wingdale, New York, where uh, Pete Seeger and Paul Robeson and various other musicians and playwrights and uh, folks would work on material. And uh, yeah, wow. so that's that was Bob. He was not the last Lincoln veteran technically, but he was just, I just used the phrase because when he died at the age of 95, it was uh, fairly evident that there weren't going to be too many other people <laughs> living too much longer. And thought I could just take the, some artistic liberty and call him the last <laughs> for the purposes of the song. Yeah. Yeah. I knew Bob Steck, you know. Did you? Uh, yeah, I, I talked to him about it. He was also held as a prisoner of war. Yeah, for 16 in months, Spain. yeah. In Spain? In uh, Spain, and he was, and the, the Spain, book uh, yeah. Prisoners of the Good Fight has also uh, f- talked a lot about that period uh, in, in, the, in the concentration camps there, yeah. Yeah, you're from New York, too, and, and so when I heard your accent, I haven't read your book yet, but I thought, <laughs> oh, you must have known Bob. Well, it's time <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book, Peter. I mean, I just really enjoy you know, uh, and I'm also reading a book by uh, I can't think of his first name, but his last name's Fisher, and he wrote the book uh, Comrades. Harry Fisher. Harry Fisher, yeah, and I just started reading that. Started re- reading that book uh, after I I've been reading your book. Uh, I want to ask you, either one of you, can you tell me? how the international brigades got started who started it who was the first one to send uh, folks to the spanish civil war okay let's go back to the story i was telling you about how franco got assistance from hitler and mussolini yeah uh okay so the legal government then appealed to all the countries in the world you know the so-called democratic countries britain france and so on and and uh, to get assistance for them for their side of the battle because they knew they didn't have they couldn't match the german and italian soldiers with the spanish rebel army and all that mm-hmm. and uh everybody turned them down this was the age of appeasement and uh isolationism in the u.s and things like that um but joseph stalin who was the head of the soviet union realized that if Hitler and Mussolini succeeded in Spain, the next step was he would start marching east toward the Soviet Union. I mean, Hitler's whole program was to eliminate the Bolshevik Revolution. Wow. And so Stalin agreed to, to um, 
provide some military assistance. He sold military uh, products that they had, which were limited, because uh, it was really not a powerful country then, to the Republican side. And then in that period, around very in the summer of 36, a few months after the war, he called for the creation of an international brigade. That is to say, he asked for volunteers to come to help the Spanish Republic in their fight. Stalin? And Stalin. Yeah. Stalin. It's, it, starts, it starts with that, and mm-hmm. then they, uh, they wind up with about 35,000 individual volunteers who went to Spain from 50-some-odd countries. And they were organized into battalions and brigades largely by what language they spoke. So the French and the Belgians were in one, you know, battalion, and um, the the English-speaking ones, the Canadians, the U.S., and the Brits were in the the 15th International Brigade, and so on. And uh, as I said, they had 35,000 volunteers. Many of them were health workers, too, you know, doctors and surgeons and nurses and ambulance drivers and stuff like that. But... uh, it was a whole international thing. Anybody who was awake in the 1930s knew about the Spanish Civil War. It was equivalent to the Vietnam War in the 60s, or we talk about Iraq and Iran now. Everybody knows about it. Um, but these people got involved in it, the international brigades. Wow. And From the U.S., there were about uh, slightly less than 3,000 volunteers, by my counting. Peter, is it true that, um, if I recall, my, most of my information is, is, uh, is, is too old and secondhand, and it, but uh, is what Germany and Italy uh, pr- produced some of the largest numbers of, of volunteers to fight against uh, the, the, the far right, it didn't, it, didn't they? I don't think they were the largest numbers. I think because it was hard to get to, to, to Spain, you know, you had to go through Germany. If, but uh, there was what they, there were, uh, there were Germans, the Tailman Battalion, mm-hmm. and uh, and Italians. Most of the interesting thing that I found was that there were there was a significant number of Jewish people from those countries, mm. and uh, they because they were they knew what Hitler was up to in the thirties, and Spain gave them a chance to fight back. Also, the battalion the from the U.S. Force. was very disproportionately Jewish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, disproportionately, yes. You know, like maybe a third of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which means that two-thirds weren't Jewish, you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? It's like the numbers are there, but they're not vast. They're and clearly that. But, uh, but there'd be Germans who had left Germany in 1933 were living in France. They went. Or England, they went. And so all the battalions had those you know, a disproportionate number. There were also from the U.S. There were about 100 African-Americans. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they served not only as foot soldiers, but as officers. It's the first time in U.S. history that African-Americans ever commanded white soldiers in battle. Yeah. Oh, Never boy. Before. Wow. And not in World War II either, you know. Right, they were World segregated. Yeah, we, we had Jim Crow armies then. Right. And I also read uh, where there was one female African-American woman, and she worked as a nurse. That's and, right, Solaria T. Yeah, she was very interesting. Uh, the, you know, I, uh, the stuff I've read and listened to, to her about. But uh, go ahead, Peter. It's really interesting. Yeah, there was another African-American woman who oh. in Chicago who was a social worker. You know, one of the things about the Spanish Civil War was it's the first time in, in the West, anyway, in, in Europe, that uh, aviation uh, was was a big factor, bombing civilians in the cities. Ugh. Everybody knows about Guernica, the Picasso painting, you know, right. the, the bombing of civilians and all that. And uh, so what was happening in Spain was that the bombing was, after a building got blown up, you know, there were families in those buildings. And uh, so kids were encouraged to leave the cities by their parents. You know, they sent them to camps like, they called them colonias. And the kids, you know, were taken out of the cities where they could be evacuated. 
And in the U.S., some social workers at the University of Chicago, including this woman, Edwards was her name, Tyra Edwards, that uh, the kids needed therapy. You know, they, they were suffering from post-traumatic syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the social workers went over to, to work in, with the kids in the camps. Wow. So there were, she was the second woman that I found that, that had been African-American woman. Mm -hmm. who who was involved in that and uh you know Spain was the first it was the first battle of World War II exactly whatever happened in Spain happened all over Europe and space right after that yeah. you know Peter uh, did you know that during the Vietnam War that in Hanoi they did the same thing they took their children out of the city and took them into the countryside oh yeah where they could yeah yeah right. yeah so that they could they took the kids and <laughs> I, they took the kids from Gibraltar during World War II, and they sent them to London. Oh, wow. my goodness. Really? That was a, that was a very bad London, move. They, they still had... <laughs> wow. They were colonials, you know. That was... Yeah. <laughs> They'll be safe in London. Count as much. Wow. Wow. But one of the... I think uh, the, the fact that uh, it was the, the beginning of the Second World War, and yet it's uh, generally not uh, considered thus in, in most of the histories, and, and most people are who, who might know about the Second World War are not necessarily aware of the role that the, that the U.S. and Britain and France played in the Spanish Civil War, which was certainly not uh, necessarily sympathetic to the Republic compared to later where, where clearly there was a fight against fascism yeah. going on. But, I mean, the, the inability of the Republic to get oil because of the U.S. not uh, sending it on and the inability of the Russian tanks to get in from France because France weren't, wouldn't let them in and these, these kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, all of that, yeah. Mm. Wow. That's true. That's true. Meanwhile, Texaco Oil Company smuggled all kinds of oil to Franco's side. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> you know, and that's a big part of it, you know, really. It, uh, that's where he got his oil. Right. And you can't move tanks without oil. So no. this uh, this kind of uh, the the role of of uh, of the U.S. and the oil companies in in uh, not trading with the Republic and trading with Franco's side, it I think it's it's hard to overemphasize uh, how important that was. Yeah, it's the same thing they're doing today. You know, the still U.S. has embargoes all over the place. You know, they had an embargo against Vietnam until I think 1994. The U.S. Uh, against Vietnam. I guess it's it's moving to to a related but different subject. But another thing I wrote a song about recently was the uh, the oil embargo against uh, Japan prior to the bombing of of uh, Pearl Harbor, which to, to I think uh, bears uh, yeah. real striking similarities to the embargo right. against Iran that's yeah. uh, being going on right yeah. now. It, uh, Peter, it seems like it's the same old game plan, just a different country, huh? Well capitalism yeah <laughs> big time it's an <laughs> empire time. yeah empire Let, uh, uh, let's i want to talk about now let's talk about the uh abraham lincoln brigade and uh and i, I also wasn't there another one uh the washington george washington brigade yeah yeah they the first group was was named after abraham lincoln Partly because, you know, Lincoln was the Civil War president. Right. And he was the legal government. And so the idea was that just as the legal U.S. government, you know, was the one that needed to be, they were the good guys, that, that they thought in Spain that was the same thing. The legal Republican government should have been the one that the U.S. supported. Mm -hmm. So that was, they named after Lincoln. And then... There were, when more people came, they they called the second battalion the George Washington battalion, and they all got decimated in the battle at Brunetti, and they became combined and they became called the Lincoln Washington battalion. Wow! But they were at battalion levels at that, and then there was a third one that they named after two Canadians, the Mackenzie Papineau battalion. That became the third of the of the American, the North American volunteers and what about the john and, uh, brown anti-aircraft battery if you if you look yeah, up what who are they who, was, who are they because i i only they no, segment they named themselves actually but you know the guys voted for that let's call us that john brown you know was the, the abolitionist right were they just part of the lincoln and battalion and they named themselves that 
Excuse me? Were they part of the Lincoln Battalion, and they named themselves no, they, that? Well, they came, volunteers came over, and a bunch I of see. guys were assigned to this battery, and they named oh. themselves that. You know, right. they, they they could do that. <laughs> yeah. um, th- there were some people who called themselves Frederick Douglass groups or, you know, things like that, because they understood that. There was a story that um, they, they when they were trying to name one of the battalions, um, the choice was between Patrick Henry... <laughs> who they said was no good because he was a slave owner, or um, an actress, uh, I forget, Rita Haywood, I think. And they, they said, if we elect Rita Haywood, she'll send us cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and they got a tie vote out of it, and they couldn't break the tie, and that's when they decided to call them the Mackenzie Papanote. Oh, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a good story, though, me. Peter. It's a yeah, good it story. <laughs> uh, how, talk about the leadership of the of the brigade. You know, how did they choose their leaders? Uh, where did they come from? You know, uh, just everything about initially, it. Initially, they were, the leadership was, you know, Communist Party appointed people. Mm. They, uh, they tried to find military experienced people, and they did have some. Some who had fought in World War One, and some who were trained elsewhere, you know, in, you know, in other armies of Europe or something. But uh, they did the best they could. They didn't have access to to uh, you know uniformed armies. Right. They, they weren't there. They were spontaneous groups. Most of the Spaniards, you know, there was the Spanish, you know, armies of course, the, the loyalists, the loyal Spanish. But talking of the international brigades, most of them were communist leaders. They had a two-part system. There was a military organization, like generals and colonels and so forth, you know, lieutenants, mm-hmm. sergeants. And then there was a political hierarchy of commissars. And commissars were guys who would try, they were sort of like morale officers, they compared them to. Mm-hmm. In fact, the U.S. Army copied the system in World War II a little bit. The commissars were ones who would be responsible for political indoctrination, explaining why they were taking certain actions and why they were doing this, that, and the other thing. And they kept the soldiers, the ordinary soldiers, um, informed. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of that. They, they thought they had to be politically educated to be good fighters. And that's something the U.S. Army picked up in World War II. They had these morale officers, they gave classes and when Lincoln veterans wound up in the U.S. Army in World War II, which about 400 did, many of them were picked to be uh, educators. You know, in basic training in Mississippi or something, they'd give a lecture on Spanish Civil War and how you, how you deal with, with uh, things like fear. There's a big study of fear in battle that the U.S. Army conducted in World War II wow. and had to cope mm. with fear. Everybody was afraid to go to war. There was there were no exceptions, really. But they used the Lincoln Brigade as a model for how you would train a soldier to overcome the fear that they had. Mm. And uh, that book was published as, I think, called Fear in Battle. It was produced by a group of sociologists at Yale University. Wow. They interviewed Lincoln veterans. That's and just so, interesting. You know, there were there were guys like that that were very important to the to the war effort. And, but and, uh, they were when they came back from Spain, like Bob and, and all the others were given the uh, official designation, right, of of uh, premature anti-fascists. I, I, yeah, I right. I was wondering what what role did that play in in their in the work that they did during the Second World War? Because I I can't remember now where I read this, but uh, but I heard that uh, there were a lot of uh, Lincoln vets who probably would have been very well qualified for all kinds of intelligence work that were kept out of the intelligence services because of their premature anti-fascist designation. Yeah, that's true, and uh, and uh, they also were kept out of officer school. They were kicked yeah. out of officer school. They weren't uh, commissioned in a lot of cases until it was sort of scandalous at some point around 1943 or four, and uh, afterward, after that broke the news that they were putting them down, that um, many of them did get overseas 
and got into officer schools and the, mm. the, a lot of medals. They won a lot of medals in World War II. Wow. In fact, including, you know, the U.S. Army wouldn't give congressional medals of honor to African Americans in World War II. That was policy. Mm. And then in 1997, Bill Clinton decided, you know, that they were going to give some posthumous medals of honor to people who had earned them in World War II. And among those people that were chosen, I think there were seven African Americans chosen. There was one guy who had been in the Lincoln Brigade. Wow. His name was Sergeant Sergeant Edward Carter. He was from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, he had captured like, uh, he, he captured a whole, you know, 20 German soldiers hmm. in, wow. in, uh, near the end of the war and had been wounded five times as he did it, and he killed three, you know, one of these heroic guys. Yeah. Wow, and, that's uh, amazing. But uh, they did really well. They served really well in the, in the uh, Army Air Corps. You know, they, they won air medals. They won Silver Stars. Uh, I had a good friend named Jack Lucid who won a Silver Star at Anzio oh, in boy, the Italian front. That's where my father was. He's yeah, well, that was... The Lincolns were really, they were anti-fascists. That's what they were. They were communists, of course, many mm -hmm. of them, not all. Right. Again, my numbers are that about somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters, about 70%, were somehow identified with communists. Mm -hmm. and, but the other 30% wasn't. And, right. uh, but they were all anti-fascists. Yeah. That, well, was, that was the thing. Yeah. And, uh, what was the name of the guy he became the leader of the brigade he was uh from berkeley was he from berkeley or oh Mil you're talking about mill wolf yeah 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 talk, yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. him yeah well wolf was from brooklyn oh and uh bensonhurst i think and uh yeah i knew mill real well he was uh he was young he he, was, he you know, I don't think he finished high school. He, you know, he quite he didn't quite graduate, mm -hmm. and he was working in New York in the Depression, and he heard about all this stuff going on in Spain, and he intended to be a, a, one of the an ambulance driver, I think, when he went over, and then he just got you know he just went through the ranks. Wow. Uh, Wolf also had a lot of contact directly with Ernest Hemingway, who was you know covering the Spanish Civil War right. as a journalist, and. Uh, they had their their spats together, <laughs> and uh, you know they liked each other and didn't like each other. Some of their letters are available, and uh, you know they struggled about that. Yeah, um, that's interesting. You know, they, you, uh, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Th I'm just going off on a random uh, point here because there's way too much to talk about in an hour, boy, right? Yeah. But uh, you mentioned the uh, the various different elements that made up the uh, re resistance or uh, against the Fra Franco and 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 his uh, allies from Hitler and Mussolini's uh, troops. But um, one of the things my friend Bob would mention on occasion was how he um, he thought that if the policy advocated or carried out by by the anarchists when when they liberated a town in Spain if their policies of immediate land dis redistribution had been more widely practiced uh, outside of just anarchist circles uh, that a lot of Franco's support in the countryside would have dried up completely. He was convinced, and he was convinced that that would have been... Uh, uh, just would have got more. You know, if they needed more, they were going to get more. Yeah. Uh -huh. there, was, there was no way that the infantry in the Spanish Republican Army could match what was coming in from from the Germans and Italians. They just... Aircraft and all that stuff. They just couldn't do it. Yeah. It would have just I been mean, a lose-lose situation anyway. They would have just sent in more material. Yeah. They, yeah. It would, like... like you said, Peter, it was just a training ground for World War II. That's what it was. Yeah, no question. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I want to, you know, in your book, your book is really good. I hope people uh, go and buy your book because it is really interesting. And uh, the one really interests me was William Alto. Oh, yeah. Talk about William Alto. That, that was interesting to me, just completely interesting to me. Bill Alto was a Finn, a Finnish-American. 
I think his mother was an immigrant, and she was raised. She raised him alone, and uh, he was uh, he was a single guy. And uh, most, by the way, most of the volunteers from the United States, like eighty uh, percent, had never been married. Wow! By my numbers, yeah. And they were, the average age was about twenty-eight. Wow. And it was poorly, there were depression conditions. You see, you, people, it, it was like today. The the age of marriage goes up when you can't get a job to support a family. Right. And so they, so Alto, anyway, went over and was picked to be, uh, or volunteered to be in a, uh, a special detachment, a unit that uh, worked behind enemy lines. And, uh, you know, they... They, they would set uh, explosives on uh, fascist uh, trains, you know, military trains mm-hmm. or bridges, sort of like what Hemingway wrote in For Whom the Bell Tolls. Right. And, uh, you know, where the guy blows up the bridge. Yeah. And uh, so he was he was involved, very much involved in that stuff. He was, he was considered one of the best, most successful soldiers, and because of the guerrilla warfare that he was involved in, you know, it was very heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, for example, just this is one of the famous stories, he and a group of about six people raided a prisoner of war camp and liberated like 3,000 prisoners. And to avoid being captured by the Franco side, they jumped off a cliff into the Mediterranean. Wow. <laughs> And stayed in the water at the bottom of the cliff for like three days. Wow. Nearly drowning, you see. But they, they couldn't shoot them from above because of the angle of the cliff. Oh, smart and eventually, move. they made their way back. And, and so did the 3,000 soldiers that they, prisoners that they had liberated. Oh, that's amazing. So anyway, he was, yeah, he was an amazing guy. He was, he was also rather, you know, very intelligent. So anyway, in World War II, you mentioned Milton Wolf, who was the last battalion commander. Mm-hmm. Wolf was was uh, brought down to the uh, Office of Strategic Services in the U.S. that was run by Wild Bill Donovan, who the, the OSS was the predecessor of the CIA. Right, and he, uh, he, he Wolf was assigned the task of finding Lincoln Brigade veterans who they could use in Europe in the war. This is before Pearl Harbor, about 1941. Wow. And uh, early in 41, in the summer, I think. And uh, so Wolf went around recruiting people, and among the people he recruited were these guerrilla fighters uh, that include Bill Alto, this Finn from the Bronx. And uh, he, in the course of it all, it turned out that Bill had told one of his guerrilla colleagues in Spain that he was gay, that he was a homosexual. And some of the guys in the brigade, in this group, this OSS group, did not trust gay soldiers, okay? They had a bias against them. And they went to Donovan, who was the head of the OSS, and they said, if all those with us here, we're not going to do it. We're not going to work for you. So Donovan didn't care, but he had no choice, and so Bill was removed from this OSS group and went into training. He became an officer. He was still an officer in the U.S. Army or an NCO. I'm not sure of his rank, but he was training soldiers at Fort Meade in Maryland. Wow. And meanwhile, the OSS group went over to North Africa first and then worked their way through Italy and so forth, doing mm-hmm. this uh, secret work, accelerating World War II. But, but as he was training a soldier, Bill Alto, um, they, would, they were doing hand grenade stuff. And some guy dropped his hand grenade. And Alto ran to it, picked up the grenade, and threw it. Whoa. As he threw it, it blew off his hand. Oh. So he lost his right hand. And, of course, that was the end of his military career. Right. But he he learned to write with his left hand. Mm. 
and he 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 became a poet. I think he went to Columbia University then he for for learning you know how to write poetry, and he became involved in uh, in you know partnerships with uh, some very prominent poets, including W. H. Auden. Wow! And they were they were you know there's poems that Auden wrote about Bill Otto that you can find in some of the books. Wow, that's but he amazing. was a, he the, the injuries and all this stuff and the fact that he was treated as a second class person by these guerrillas because he was gay uh, got him into he was a, dr- a drunk he became an alcoholic oh. and he really basically drank himself to death in the fifties. Do you know how old he was when he died? By any chance? About fifty something. Yeah, he was about young, six or something like that. He was young. Oh yeah, yeah, young, definitely young. Very, very people who talked about him. He was a very handsome, mm-hmm. tall, blonde guy, and and uh, uh, everybody remembered him for being such a great fighter. Yeah, and uh, it was one of the. That's one of the casualties. You see what you have. You know, even the communists who were supposedly open to anything, they didn't care whether you were black or yellow or anything. They had these biases like that. There was yeah. another suicide of a of a guy who was a gay person. There were about, I found about six or eight uh, gay men that I could easily identify from the records. There, may, there must have been more statistically, but I only found a few of them. Yeah, there was in the, and, uh, they were in the brigade, right? But they're in the brigade and they mm-hmm. were, you know, kept in the closet more or yeah, less. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. You know what I want to talk about now? And uh, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, the Battle of Hara- Harama Valley? <clears throat> yeah, Harama. It, yeah. yeah, Harama Valley. Talk about that. Well, you know, they got wiped out more or less. And you this know, was the, the George. The, the George. Wa- that's when the George Washington uh, Battalion lost most of their members. Was it in that campaign? That was. The, it was the Lincolns. Oh, the Washingtons lost it in Brunetti afterward. But afterward. They, there wasn't a Washington Battalion. At Harama was the first battle they went into in February, thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, it was around Lincoln's birthday, and that may have contributed to why they call themselves Lincolns. I'm, I'm not sure. There's a lot of, you know, a lack of clarity about the whole thing, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, there was about uh, two hundred of them there. They 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 were attached to the British and the Irish groups. At that point, they had no time for any training really because they didn't arrive in Spain till January of thirty seven, and this was like six weeks later, four weeks later. They just went into the battle, and uh, they were holding. They were trying to save a road that connected. Madrid with the coast, with Valencia. That was a key road that had to be held. And the fascists were pushing close to that. And they'd got to a certain point, and then the the Lincolns were brought in to hold that road. And then they got orders to cross the road and get, you know, as, a, as an offensive so that the, the fascist side wouldn't get dug in too well. And they just got decimated. I think there were 125 of the 200 were seriously wounded or killed. Oh my God! You know they they just were wiped out in the. You know it was a terrible day. And uh, you know they were there's a lot of anger about it, resentment, and everything. They didn't get the support that they had expected from tanks and aviation and so forth. And it was uh, you know it was a stupid yeah stupid uh, military stupid decision. yeah. But uh, you know, again, it's the inexperience yeah. that that the that that side had. You know, they really, you know, when that that great song came out, I think the lyrics were written by a Brit, mm-hmm. and uh, I found a handwritten manuscript of that of that uh, in the Moscow archives about when I was over there in the nineties. So Rama? I forget the name of the guy. Who wrote Valley, it, but, uh, yeah, and it, the, the it, lyrics were completely different uh, to, than than it later became, and, and that was true of uh, many of the songs of the period uh, during the Spanish Civil War. So many of the songs of the 
of the battalions at the time, uh, the ones that that kind of like made its way into the folk music tradition in the U.S. and and the U.K. were, were the much more uh, sort of sanitized versions. Oh, because <laughs> to me it sounded like a Red River Valley. Yeah, same same, same melody. Yeah, same yeah. melody as Red River Valley. You know, it's that's the melody. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But it must have come from the guy who wrote it. You see, it was English, so it must have come from yeah. an English ballad from before that. You know? Yeah, probably. Like you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Red River Valley, I might have been well known in England too at the time. I'm yeah. not sure because I mean, a lot of the John Foster stuff was very popular in a lot of the world. That sort of 19th century folk stuff from the U.S. Yeah, but. right. So after okay. the after that battle, how did the how did the 80 or so survivors get out of that area how did they how did they get because that sounds they were pretty well, much they, they weren't they stopped the advance you see the fascists never did cross that road oh that, that's the thing they never got across that road oh. until the very end of the war they hmm. kept that road open so it was like a holding action they got decimated and mm-hmm. everything but more soldiers came in and uh you know, they licked their wounds, and they stayed in those trenches from February. I think they weren't out until the, the end of April. Yeah. And they only had one offense in that period uh, from the enemy at that time, in all those periods. But they, and they were, so they're moaning, you see, just the Valley of Harama. Yeah. You know, we've lost our manhood, you know. We're yeah. Here and, yeah. You know, and all of this stuff, you know, and... uh and then they, then they, you know, that was how they just held it. That's what they did. That was their job. Yeah, uh, we're talking with uh, Peter N. Carroll, uh, who wrote a wonderful book on the Abraham Lincoln Brigade called "The Odyssey of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade: Americans in the Spanish Civil War." And here with me is David Robix, and he uh, sang the song that we heard uh, to start the show. Plus, he has other songs too. And uh, that uh, are, you know, very good, and and I'm glad that uh, he's with me here. And uh, let's. I want to talk about uh, the. You talked about the medical people. Mm-hmm. Uh, did they have medics that went actually like we did in Vietnam? We had medics with us in the field. Did they have medics with them in the fields? Or did they get uh, they to- were close. They were close. You know, you couldn't get that close with ambulances, you know. Mm-hmm. And they did. They had a mass unit, They the first mass units, oh. which were mobile things, you know, surgical things. So, of course, mm-hmm. comes in the Spanish Civil War. It was mm-hmm. the first war where they also um, were able to do the transfusions from not just that they did a lot of transfusions from two living guys. You know, one guy would be wounded. Then they bring someone next to him and put a you know the tube yeah. together. But in Spain, they also the doctor was Bethune, Bethune, who was a Canadian, mm-hmm. who discovered that you could you could take blood and refrigerate it and store it, and then bring it into somebody. And mm-hmm. that's the first time transfusions were ever used in wow. in medical in med, in military medicine. Wow! In Spain, that's it. And. Uh, there, there were a couple of American doctors were killed, you know, bombed and stuff and shot. And one nurse was seriously wounded. And the, the nurses were there were 150 American nurses and doctors that that went over. Wow! And uh, at great risk, they never had enough medicine. They never had enough medical equipment. It, I remember one woman telling me, you know, if we broke a scalpel, if it broke, you, you just start to cry because. They didn't have a second one to use for something else. Oh man, I, I you know it was. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was as you could imagine. They were shorthanded, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, they, that's why the Lincoln Brigade stuck together even after the war. Yeah, you know, yeah, I wanted to ask there, about that, that too yeah. because that that's lyric, the, leg- the legacy. You know, the, uh, of their, oh, I mean, their, the, yeah. their involvement with, with basically, I mean, at least my, I'm 52, and but when I was when I was young, you know, and and the Lincoln vets were, were in their 70s, you know, they were still uh, the backbone of of the left in, in, throughout the Northeast U.S. and in Seattle and the Bay Area. I mean, they were just yeah, they were pretty big in the Bay Area. Outsize. Yeah, that's how I f- found out, uh, Peter. When I came back from Vietnam. I 
wanted to get the stink of that war off my body, right? And so I traveled a lot, and I wanted to get the war out of my mind, out of my brain. And I finally got the stink out of my body, but I never could get rid of it out, out of my mind. And I was in the East Bay walking, had my backpack on, and I walked by a building, and it had uh, Abraham Lincoln Brigade Reunion huh. on it. And I can't remember if it was Oakland or Concord or, or something. And I just went inside and uh, had a great time, you know. I, ta- yeah. I probably talked to the guys that you're talking about now. I just don't remember. And uh, they were really nice to me. There were the, uh, uh, the women nurses were there. And, uh, and quite a few of the African-American guys were there. So it was, yeah, re- it, it was interesting. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I used to go to those things all the time. I, I started going around 1975 or six, uh-huh. I think 74, or five like that. Yeah, you yeah. probably you you probably went to the same one I came yeah, upon, sure man. I did. I, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We had dinner before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And can and uh, go ahead. You had something you wanted to talk about. What oh, was no. it? No. no, that's okay. I mean, okay. They, the reunions still go on, you know. We do them. In fact, what you probably don't know is that there's a monument to the Abraham Lincoln Brigade mm. in uh, San Francisco, yeah. and it it uh, it sort of got uh, dismantled because of uh, some um, architectural problems. Oh. But it's going to be reopened this spring. There's going to be a big event around May third. Wow! In San Good. Francisco, honoring the Lincoln Brigade again in the city. And when that first monument was when it, the the original monument was. Uh, 2008 when we did it uh who came to that event was our mayor who was uh, now the governor of california gavin newsom oh. who comes from a family that supported the spanish republic and uh you know in, in his you know his family's past he spoke and george schultz was there and all that stuff we're going to have a big rally at uh around the longshore offices in the uh Mm. On the waterfront, it's right across the street from the ferry building in San Francisco. It's right across from and, what? Uh, the yeah, the long the long, where the Longshore Workers uh, Union Hall yeah. is. There. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Also, wonderful little commemoration yeah. of the la- so of the people killed yeah. in the. The other thing I should tell you about is that Go ahead. there's an organization called the Abraham Lincoln Brigade Archives. Hey, oh, that's how yeah, I found it. Yeah, and they have a publication as well. They, they interviewed that's me. That's right, the volunteer, and uh, yeah, I'm the editor of that. And, oh, uh, are you really? The, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we do we do a lot of teaching around the country. And if you go to the website, the Alba website, you can find listings of where teachers can come and, and learn how to teach about the stuff that we've been talking about. Do you have and the, uh, the do you have the uh whatever the uh Facebook page? You, yeah, the 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 web the website Yeah. Do you know what it is? Uh, yeah, www.alba a L B A and a little dash and then V A L B Veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade dot org. Dot org, okay, dot org. And you could just Google Abraham Lincoln Brigade Archives and you find it right yeah. away. We have a list on that thing of uh-huh. every American who went to Spain with a little biographical note where we could find it. And there's teaching materials for teachers that are interested in pursuing this. Yeah, there's letters from the from the guys writing from Spain back home. It's it's an enormous website, and uh, great. You know, we do these lessons all over the country. Actually, they do, there's something going on in in Seattle mm-hmm. in uh, in February for Spanish teachers. Wow, you know yeah. what? Uh, we, Tammy just our engineer just brought me in a message, and it says a a guy called to let you know about a rare book he has it's homage to catalonia by orson welles have you no, heard of that book orwell. orwell yeah orwell i mean george orwell yeah you know about that book great yeah book. wow that's a yeah, it pretty is. it's a classic but you know i'll tell you something uh, what we find now is that orwell who blames the the problems of the civil war on the communists putting down the anarchists. Oh, really? Is the main thing. Wow. Orwell later 
Or- Orwell later repudiated that part of his book. Oh, he did? And wished that he did. He wanted his editors to make it into an appendix and, and oh. cut that stuff out. Yeah, I wish but, he had a... Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I wish I did, he had I didn't, a... Uh, I mean, at least when I read the book, I didn't I didn't come away with, with uh, th- that, like, at least not that that was his main uh, point, but, I mean, it, it was... Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're... Yeah, I'm going to find it. I'm going to read it for sure. But, you know, yeah, isn't yeah. it interesting that Catalonia right now is going through oh, yeah. the same thing and those people i mean i watched the the they were talking about uh in this uh, documentary i was watching it, it and it is that they, they were talking to the people of catalonia these old older guys who fought in the war uh, spanish civil war and they were just as ready then you know now as they were back then when they were fighting uh against the fascists they were just women Men, children, the whole gamut. They were, they were, you know, just talking about what they had gone through and and how they have made their own government. They, you know, they pretty much ran their own government in that area. It was just amazing, amazing what they did. I was surprised. And if any, what I I, go ahead, Peter. Well, it ties in, you know, to the other thing going on in Spain. Recently, I don't know if you've been following it all, but the the uh, they've exhumed Franco's body, his, his grave, yeah, from the big valley of the fallen, you know, which uh-huh. was a monument to fascism, and they uh, they reburied the bones, you know, in a little private place, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a it's a, an important it's yeah, important. that is really you important. Know, they moved a fascist dictator running that country for. 40 years, 30, yeah. 90 years or something, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, supported by the U.S. and NATO yep. and all that stuff. Yeah. He was, he was anti-Soviet. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, I, that's surprising that he, they left him there that long. Uh, he, do you know what part of, uh, was he was only one of three generals, though, wasn't he, that really started the mess? Wasn't it no, three generals? No, well, there were more than that. There were, there was a song, right, the four generals that, uh, that Paul Robeson sang. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, but there, you know, was the the army leadership. Yeah, was mostly fascist. You know, the leadership. Yeah, the, the soldiers in Madrid and Barcelona uh-huh. were loyal to the republic. That's yeah. what saved the republic for three years. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, because when yeah. I, the documentary I was looking at, they showed a lot of the uh, soldiers that had gone over to the republic and and fought for the republic. Peter, we're just about done with time, and yeah. I really want to thank you for coming on and and talking about this. This is really interesting, and uh, I'm going to give the name of your book again before we go off the air. And uh, thank you very, very much, Peter. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, I I didn't get the full name of the guy that you have with me here, David. Yeah, but David I'd like Rovix. You to contact me because uh, I'd love if you to could, give him my phone number. I want to talk to you oh, some more. Okay. Do. Okay. okay. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye, buddy. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. You know, I uh, also like the salute, the uh, Lincoln Brigade salute, the the fist up by the, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they had their fist up oh, like the, this. the salute. Yeah, yeah the yeah, salute. Yeah, 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 fist uh, mm-hmm. on the I always, I, I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, I want to thank you a whole lot for uh, coming in and playing your song. Thank and you. Helping me out on this. Uh, my pleasure you, you did a lot of a lot of help and uh, uh, we'll be back on January 17th at 9 a.m. and there it is
the Mexican land Fought in the bloody Civil War Yes, I even killed my brothers and so many others But I ain't marching anymore For I marched to the battles of the German trench In a war that was bound to end all wars Oh, I must have killed a million men And now they want me back again But I ain't marching anymore It's always the old to lead us to the wars Always the young to In the Japanese skies Set off the mighty mushroom roar When I saw the cities burning I knew that I was learning That I ain't marching anymore Cable Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is also available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Board meetings will be conducted at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, unless otherwise noted. The KBU Board of Directors meets the fourth Monday of the month, starting at 6 p.m. Please call 503-231-8032 to verify if a meeting is being held. I'm out to sing songs. It'll prove to you that this is your world and that it has hit you pretty hard and knocked you down. For a dozen loops, no matter how hard it's run you down and rolled over you, no matter what color, what size you are, how you're built, I am out to sing the songs that will make you take pride in yourself. I'm Lori Sonnenfeld. And I'm Don Jacobson. Together we bring you Moving On, Fridays from 12 noon to 1.30. We feature both traditional and contemporary folk music. We love to present live in-studio concerts from local and national musicians. Tune in and you'll hear music that is socially progressive, moving, and 